in terms of how you de-stress at the end of a day, when do you know how to clock off? Oh, this is something I struggle with. My <laughs> husband is so much better at this. He will sort of, and I think football helps, right? Having the football on, mm-hmm. he knows that he's got a football match he wants to watch and that's his priority. <laughs> Find yourself a football team and support them. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the new and improved Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. A Pinpoint Media production, this isn't a podcast about the millions, the fast cars and the large houses associated with so many entrepreneurs. Instead, it's about the barriers, the mistakes, the naivety and the drive. This is a reality check. What does it take to start a business and how do you turn your idea into a success? Well, join me to find out from those that are doing just that. Launched in June 2020, Munchie Play creates design-led products for families that makes life easier or just more fun. The Munchie Play range includes the first ever children's plate with built-in track. Munchie Play were finalists in the Junior Design Awards 2020 and 2021 and have been named as one of the startups to watch in 2021 by the Sunday Times. Not bad considering it was launched a little under 12 months ago. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to CEO and founder Sophia Proctor. Morning, how are you doing Oliver? I'm very, very well. Thank you so much for joining me. You, you know, you've come from an interesting background. It's not really been an entrepreneurial one. It's not really been uh, in in that sort of business startup world. In fact, you worked for British Airways and Red Bull in a previous life. Why the change? Yeah, such a different background. And actually, I do hope that if anybody's listening, you you know that you don't have to come from an entrepreneurial background. You can make that career choice and change at any time in your life. And that's okay. We're not all born um, into those roles. Um, and I think that's really important to get across. My background is in PR, which was something I kind of knew I was born to do. I was very lucky from a young age, knowing that PR was my calling in life. <laughs> um, you know, um, I went to university, I got a degree in it. And I went and worked for Barclays in their press office. That was my first job. Realised I wasn't into financial PR. I moved into consumer PR. Mm-hmm. Helped to sort of launch Red Bull into the UK. That was a fantastic job. It was like my dream job. Um, working for a brand I was so passionate about. But what is interesting is that all those skills that you pick up from all those amazing people you work with, they help you later in life. And I still draw on experiences that I I, I guess I had back then, like mm-hmm. learning what to how to forecast or how to get into retail or all those little sort of nuggets that you pick up along the way and all how how important relationships are mm-hmm. um, and I think that's you know even if you have a background in marketing like I do that all helps you when you launch your business whatever you're doing every piece of experience will help you at some point and then um previously and I guess most recently I worked at British Airways in their press office I was there for mm-hmm. nearly a decade and um, my job there was to keep them in the press not out of the press two very <laughs> for all the sides. right reasons of course and um, <laughs> mostly working on the Olympics so I brought the Olympic flame into the country with David Beckham and Boris Johnson and I managed all the PR for and led the PR campaign during the Olympics and all the sponsorship properties um, and partnerships like Comet mm-hmm. Relief so it was a really a job I I loved and I still love PR so much and I never thought ever I would have my own business because I just thought I I want to have a better balance in my life so I'm definitely not going to run my own business and then things change you know anybody who's had a baby will know that it changes your life um I had my son in 2017 and I didn't want to go back to work full time because I knew I only wanted one child and I know those years are precious mm-hmm. And um, I felt like I just needed to go back part time because I loved my job so much. But I also wanted to spend two days not working to be with him, Mm -hmm. which is something I don't regret. 
even though I was told you're not going to be promoted, you're never going to, you know, you're not going to get those senior jobs when when you're in a part time role. Mm-hmm. And I, I accepted that. That was the trade off, I suppose. And then um, I basically came up with the idea because my son was so. My product mm-hmm. is a kids plate with a track that you can put trains and cars around. And I really just stumbled across the idea because, like so many parents with a toddler, my son was just terrible at tea times. He wouldn't come and sit at the table. <laughs> he wouldn't, you know, he he wasn't interested in food. And they reach that age when they just discover their independence, which he did. And um, yeah, common story. He just wouldn't sit down. And so I tried everything. And you're just ridden with this mum guilt because you're working <laughs> every hour that you can. You, you know, you're trying to do your best in your job. You don't. You're not even eating. I must have been like my thinnest. You know, um, it was it was an exhausting time trying to juggle a really, um, you know, demanding career with a child. And um, I'd come home one day and I made him this curry from Annabelle. A curry Carmel. for a child. A cu- what what type of curry was it? A madras. Oh, it was an Annabelle Carmel oh, right. mango curry, and I didn't even have mango, so I think I put like chutney, and it was probably revolting. <laughs> But I spent like 40 minutes doing this. That's a lot of time in mum world when you're not even eating yourself. And he wouldn't come to the table. I was like, you're going to eat this child. So um, I <laughs> put his train track around the plate and I was like, oh, hang on. I just, it was like my, something must have clicked because mm-hmm. my husband who never does this um, got my camera and took a photo of me. I actually have a photo of that very moment because <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. And the first thing I did was go into Amazon and look for a plate with a track. I was like, this is such an obvious idea. Why has... Why doesn't this exist? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And at that very same time, I was being made redundant and it was an option. And I and I kind of knew how that would play out. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take the redundancy and I'm going to make this plate because um, I was on gardening leave for six months. And I thought, oh, this, this is going to take six months. How hard is it to make a plate? <laughs> yes. How can this be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Online on. within, yeah, with, within the courser. Yeah, I bought a flame. I bought an Olympic flame to the UK. I've given birth. How hard is it to make a plate? I tell you now, Oliver, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Ever. Well, how did you make it? How did you go about doing that and finding the manufacturers and finding the the relevant people to be able to essentially produce what was in your head at the time, having had no experience of essentially starting a business or developing a product at all? So hard. But let me tell you, as any parent will tell you, anyone who's in PR will tell you, you need to be resourceful. You need to be resilient. You need to be agile. That's all you need and have a passion. It doesn't matter if you don't have buckets of money. It helps, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you've never designed something before. I see it all as an advantage because had I known what was coming, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, It's great being naive sometimes because it forces you to push boundaries and do things in a new way and be enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. And um, in my previous job, I'd have to make, you know, things happen overnight. Sometimes I had to make, you know, had to persuade Heathrow Airport to let us do a photo shoot and invite um, camera crews onto a live runway, stuff they didn't you know, typically do. So you, you're in that sort of art of persuasion world anyway. And so I thought, well, yeah, I can, I can make this happen. Um, and so the first thing you do is your research. You obviously track, you know, you do all the due diligence to make sure nothing like this exists. And then when you realise it doesn't, you go full steam ahead to protect your property. You do all the intellectual property, you get your design rights, you get your trademark and you protect your product. That's the like the first step. 
I went, there's this, I don't know if people know about this, but they need to. At the British Library, there's a British inventor in residence, a guy called Mark Sheehan, mm. which I stumbled across. And it's brilliant. He's an actual, like, inventor, um, a crazy professor type guy, <laughs> wonderful man. And you can book an appointment with him. And I did. And he was like, I guess, and I know you're big on mentorship, but he was a bit like a mentor for a very limited time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just gave me some pointers about what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. Um, and it sort of reassured me that I was going down the right road. Um, and that was very helpful. And I think that you, when you come up with a product design, um, if it's something that you're creating from scratch, like mine is a blueprint I've created from scratch. It's not something I pulled off the market and white labeled up. It's something I'm creating. Um, you start going down the road of looking at, um, like design federations and the British Plastic Federation or Foundation. Um, and you start sort of, um, consulting these bodies or at least reading about it and it does all fall into place um and so once you've done the research then you obviously go to the length of finding your suppliers and my product my kids play is made in britain and that was something so important to me and in hindsight what a great idea because i didn't have to worry about brexit well indeed i mean i've just ordered a chair well i say i've just ordered a chair i ordered a chair earlier this year it was supposed to come three weeks ago then it was supposed to come yesterday now it's not coming to the end of april and this is all because of brexit something that should normally happen overnight and you know that was a not a mistake necessarily but it was certainly the right decision to to make it in the uk do you think you're always going to make your products the UK moving forward? I do hope so. And I, I, I think that um, it's not possible for everyone. And also the UK market isn't as open as you would think to small businesses. I really struggled. I thought people might say, oh, wow, this is a woman who's making a plastic plate in a world that isn't, you know, the STEM industry, which I think it could be part of, is so male dominated that you think that there'd be perhaps um, a celebration that somebody from a different world, you know, who's never been in this before and is a small business would want, you know, people would want to help, but they don't. It was very difficult. I did speak to a lot of manufacturers abroad and they were so welcoming. It just didn't feel like the UK had the same infrastructure in place. And then I stumbled across an amazing uh, manufacturer in Wales. And this guy's just, you know, Glenn has been so wonderful to me. didn't really care too much about the bottom line, but saw that there was somebody who had a dream and a passion and that was enough for him. And then I got a British illustrator, British packaging company. I know it would be cheaper to go abroad, but if I can bring this into the UK, um, I'm happy to not, you know, to take that here. And I think um, it's important to support the UK economy if you can. And no, it's not always possible. A hundred percent. But all of that must have cost quite a lot of money when you were being made redundant you just had a child you were trying to develop a product you had obviously a mortgage to pay I mean how did you you know a what was your burn rate and b how did you maintain and invest money so freely and willingly knowing that it could quite easily have gone wrong yeah this is also true I mean I remember sitting in uh, an office in in my at British Airways and my boss sat down with me she handed me a check and she said it's not exactly a life amount life-changing amount of money and I looked at it and it's you know it was a decent amount of money it's certainly a year's salary to someone and um I I went I'm go- uh, that is going to change my life and I took it and I put every penny of that into my business and um a lot of people being made redundant at the same time and they went on lovely holidays and got cars and I didn't spend a penny of it. Um, so that was such a blessing and I'm always so grateful for that um, because that allowed me to start up. I would never have been able to without that. So basically in the meantime, I freelanced to keep you know some income coming in 
Um, I carried on doing that. And you never you never think that your product's going to take three years to make. You think it's going to take six months, eight months, maybe a year. But it really takes a long time to bring to market if you want to do it properly, um, which we did. And so um, I'm just grateful that I freelanced in the, in the meantime. And I do recommend that if you do have another option to bring in money, then you know, it's so worth thinking, thinking about doing. When you not necessarily give the rights away, but when you are selling through these other e-commerce platforms, it's obviously you retail on Etsy, retail on Amazon, as well as you've got your own e-com website. Now, how do you maintain that customer control? How do you maintain that customer service? Because actually, at the end of the day, they'll complain potentially to Amazon and Amazon normally just send another one out. I mean, Amazon's customer service is phenomenal. That's why they've grown so, so, so quickly and so well. How do you keep control of that? Very good question. And you're absolutely right. Amazon have a really strong reputation in being a customer centric business. I think there's a trade off there as as a seller, a merchant on there that you have to accept that that it's always in the customer favor. But that's okay because um, Amazon give you such a good platform. And actually, they have been so integral to our success because they launched something called the Amazon Accelerator Program at the start of um, lockdown, which I've been part of. And this is a free program with Enterprise Nation. And it's been phenomenal. They've got me in front of um, the Prime Minister's number two to talk about what it's like to be a small business owner. Yeah, they've um, they put me on their homepage for International Women's Day. I don't think a lot of people realise how good Amazon are to small businesses. And they've really helped me. Um, I, I'm completely indebted to them. And I'm part of the Launchpad program, which um, again is for, I guess, um, new budding startups. Um, And they're very good on brand protection. So I I feel very confident that even if it does come at a price, my product is on there. And I know that nobody can trade off that. So that's good. But in terms of the customer service, well, yes, that's hard because you are one step removed, but you've got to always remember that your product will always speak for itself. And um, you've got to make sure that your product is something you would be willing to buy and something you're proud to put your name against, which I very much am. But you've got to, of course, make sure your product's always in stock if you're using their fulfillment. You've got to make sure that you're keeping an eye on it. But it's actually not been too bad at all. And the reception to the products has just been wonderful, overwhelming. Are you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, Blocks and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Blocks and ethos. Combining big thinking with big results, they simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. I mean, it's fascinating because you obviously came up with the idea in 2017 and developed it over a number of years. But in June 2020, you actually physically launched the product to the market, which actually, it was quite a sporty time to get into business because obviously there was this little thing called the pandemic <laughs> that, was, that was going on. I mean, why then? And, and how did you kind of find, I suppose, launching a product in a, a, a market whereby actually it was more turbulent than it would normally have been? I don't think anybody chooses to launch in a lockdown, do they? It was never <laughs> in my business plan. Unless you're selling PPE, in which case you would. <laughs> yeah, of course. God, what a moment it's been for them. Um, it's funny, you know, British Airways, it's quite a reserved company, as you imagine, and you're always planning potential outcomes. Everything's quite measured. I learned so much from working at such an amazing company. I was very prepared 
for most eventualities. And like I said to you, I had been freelancing in the meantime. And my job, it's funny, I, I had responded to um, the market. And so initially I was doing PR, but then it was very much, can you do some SEO content writing? Can you help launch our business? So I was helping lots of small businesses. And then March happened and I was ready to launch. And of course, lockdown happened. My husband couldn't work. He's in TV. He just couldn't outright work. I felt very anxious at that time and I didn't feel it was the right temp, you know, time to launch a product. And I just pressed pause and I freelanced every given moment of the day. I started to get lots of requests for help from small businesses saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to manage our communications. I don't know how to plan forward. I don't know what we should be telling our customers. I don't know what we should be telling the press. And so I started writing crisis manuals. I think I wrote, in one week, I wrote 10,000 words for the Australian <laughs> government about how to deal with crisis. It was insane. Well, they did all right, didn't they, the Australian government? So your crisis management it seems to have... Uh, it Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just... I, that's like a whole year ago today. Can you believe that? No, it that? is quite literally to the day, which I find remarkable. But And so much has changed. I mean, apart from anything, you've got a business now. And in terms of the trajectory and how that business is going, how, how is it going for you over the last, say, you know, 12 months? Well, it's it's interesting. I have nothing to compare it to. But um, so we actually didn't plan to sell on our own website, munchyplay.com. We plan to do everything through Amazon. And um, it does take a while to get your products from your house to Amazon. So I started selling on my website and I realized actually that people couldn't go into shops. And so I had to really pivot my model to be an online product. And again, I just see these things as, you know, setting us up for perhaps a, an accelerated success in terms of digital. We learned about, I learned about PPC, again, the, the Amazon program. I did lots of webinars and training on that. Um, my background in PR has really helped um, get us some press coverage, which sometimes helps conversion. But if well, not- Well, you've been in the uh, Metro, BuzzFeed, BBC Breakfast, The Telegraph. I mean, that's the places that people would pay thousands of pounds to be featured in. And I'm assuming you just called up your mates that you used to go drinking with and go, <laughs> can you just help me here, please? Oh, if only. It's as if easy as that, only. isn't it? Literally is. <laughs> it should be like that. But as you know, journalists have a lot of integrity and um, you've got to have a you've got to have a news story. You've got to have a news angle. And that, that's really interesting though, because there's so many businesses that will be listening to this that are starting up or indeed have been going for a number of years that have never quite figured out how to get PR and they've instructed PR agencies. But what is the best way then to instruct a journo to get a story out there? What are the things you need to be saying to them? Well, it's interesting because people often say, you know, I'll have clients come to me saying I want to be on Forbes and I want to be in Yahoo and all these sort of obvious platforms. And I'm thinking, well, is that ego or is that because that's where your brand needs to be? And I think you have to go back and look at, well, first of all, look at where are your competitors and where they're being talked about and not think of your product in your terms, but think of it from a journalist's point of view. So why would a journalist care? you know, why would they care about my products? They care about my story. That's what is the truth. People are interested in the fact that I'm, you know, somebody who changed career at the age of 40 and went from a background in PR to spinning plates, from spinning news. Um, that's quite an interesting change. And also launching in lockdown. So these are the sort of angles that you need to think about. You've got to read the news. You've got to know who, what people are talking about. And then you can pitch your story on what's trending at the moment. And there's a number of places, there's a number of resources. You can look using the hashtag journal request on Twitter and you can see what journalists are requesting. But um, don't think of it as the story you want to tell. Think about what 
the story that journalists are interested in um, and what's topical right now. And I think that will serve you well. But, you know, it's not all about PR either. You've got to make sure that your product's in a good place and use social media. I think that's such a useful and wonderful platform. Well, your Instagram's on fire. You've got a couple of thousand followers and be going 12 months. It's a very visual product, though, having obviously lovely meals within said dish or said plate, I suppose, with a train or a car going around the edge. Now, I laughed when I looked at it because I could remember as a child, I was always told not to play with my food or to play with my toys at the dinner table. And there you are, you've launched a product and you've gone, actually, no, parents, we want our children to play with to play with things at the dinner table and it'll make them eat better. So it's, it's just an interesting stance. I mean, do you get a lot of people say, but I tell my kids not to do this or do they brush over it? Do you know, grandparents who you think might not absolutely love my product um and i know this because i read the little messages that they leave me or um i help them with buying online sometimes there's a bit of confusion grandparents are lovely and they've just given me so much feedback parents perhaps have been a bit more critical and that's great by the way and during the early days when my product was a prototype um i couldn't afford to go and research so i took to the streets and i thrust my product into the hands of mums and dads with their buggies in the street and i said hi i'm a mum i've just designed this what do you think of it and just like off the cuff i'd get people's opinions and i'd say half the people i thrust them into said they loved it it was an instant reaction about 15% weren't sure, and uh, sorry, quarter weren't sure. They sort of, perhaps I caught them off guard. And then there was a, a, a number who were like, I'd never let my kid um, sit and play. I'm like, ah, oh, but do you let them watch TV? Are they playing with their iPads? Are they playing with your iPhone? And um, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's that sort of view that, oh, no, I won't let my kid play at the table. It's that, it's a very British thing as well. Is it British? Do you find that overseas that people are kind of like, oh, yeah, that's cool. They could do what they like at the dinner table. Well, look, when you go on holiday, what's the first thing that happens? You sit down at a table and the waiter or waitress brings over some crayons and some paints or whatever it is to keep your child entertained. That is true. And it's not all about eating. Let me say that. It's not the first, I've never promoted this as this will make your kid eat more. But it does in many cases because all children are individual and I can't tell you how every child's going to react. The whole purpose of my product is just to make mealtimes easier and more enjoyable for everybody. And if that can be achieved, then that's my vision of success. That's amazing. And what I mean, 12 to 18 months time, obviously, that's doubling the age of the business. I mean, are you looking to to diversify these products into into other areas, be it, you know, uh, for older children or for different sort of uh, levels of, I suppose, intelligence to a certain extent? Is that the right term? It might not be. There's, there's a market called Kidult. Have you heard of that? Which Kidult? Is, um, I haven't, no. Oh, it's amazing. It's kids that have, sorry, adults that have childlike taste. Like my husband watches uh, Apple and Onion all the time with my son or my grandmother. Yeah, she, you know, watches all the Toy Story stuff. They have like, you know, childlike. It's lovely. It's like a nostalgic thing, I think. Um, and I've had quite a lot of adults say they love my plates, which is fantastic. <laughs> but um, no, this is this is very much a product for the preschool market. And I think it's really important to know where your product sits. It is for children aged between one and five years old. After that, the novelty of trains and cars isn't quite the same. Could you do a Christmas special one though? I know we spoke I about could. Christmas. You do Rudolph and Santa with some yeah. sleighs around yeah, a snowy do. track. I could do that. That would be fun. I, I wish I could talk about it. I can't, but oh, I you've do got have, some stuff. I do have a really exciting new product launch, and I'm hoping it will be before summer. It's a it's a brand new. I think it's going to be bigger than what I've got, Oliver. I think it's going to be huge. So when does that get launched? I'm hoping before summer. Before summer, we'll do a follow up at the end of the year. See how that's going. Yeah.
So going back to your more corporate life, I suppose, the one that you had previously, you know, what do you enjoy about the current life that you're leading comparatively to the previous and indeed vice versa? There's nothing quite like making decisions and not having to double guess yourself and to have that authority and that freedom to make decisions. That's such a lovely thing that I enjoy about working for myself. And I don't know if the corporate world encourages it. There's so much structure in place. Um, But it's, you know, I think my confidence and my knowledge has grown in the past few years just for working for myself. So that's a really great side to it. The other thing is being agile because Mm -hmm. you're a you're a startup. So that means you can do things the right way, the way things have never been done before. You can challenge things Um, like our plates are made from polypropylene, um, not melamine. A lot of plates are made from melamine. And there's a lot of research why perhaps it's not the most ideal product uh, material to use. So being in charge and being able to make decisions swiftly and efficiently, I think this is something um, that Adam mentioned in his podcast Mm -hmm. with you from the Big Bakes. That's a real privilege. uh, One of the elements I really enjoy about working for myself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in terms of motivation and getting up in the morning and actually driving yourself forwards, obviously when you're in the corporate world, it's a little bit different because you're just basically lining somebody else's pocket to a certain extent if you looked at it in such a linear way. But when you get up in the morning when you run your own business, and you've had a bad day the day before, how do you motivate yourself? Well, I think you have to be a pretty special person. You're you're wired differently if you run your own business anyway. It's like, I don't know anybody who successfully runs their own business who's lazy or who isn't <laughs> um, a bit of a bullshit character in some ways. You've got to have that impetus, that sort of get up and go because mm. what makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur is the is somebody who does something. That's the defining point. We all have great ideas. There are many people who have much better ideas than I do out there, millions of ideas. Mm-hmm. But what's the difference? I'm willing to make that idea happen. So if you're that sort of ideas person, if you're the person who's that, who will make something happen, then it's likely that you're probably motivated, but you will need to know how to make it work for you. So what's the structure of your business like then? I mean, obviously it's you at the, at the sort of forefront, but have you got, I'm assuming, freelancers around you that you pull on as and when, or have you actually got staff? No, I don't have staffing. I'm a micropreneur, as they call us. You know, it's interesting. It used to be like, what's your five-year business plan? And, you know, you'd go to job interviews and they'd be like, where do you want to be in five years? I'd laugh. How can anybody think more than 12 months ahead right now? Look, perhaps it's different in different industries. I appreciate, you know, certain industries you have to book a year, two, three years ahead. I understand that. But in, in my world, no, I don't look that far ahead because I think you have to be agile. That's certainly something I've learned. You have to be able to pivot isn't that such the buzzword of no, the it is year? a buzzword right let's pivot entrepreneurs left right and center these days don't be a stickler for your business plan because you spent three months on it i try to look six months to 12 months ahead and have objectives um sales targets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a plan for that far ahead and then i keep revising it yeah well i, t- I totally agree and i mean in terms of in terms of how you de-stress at the end of a day what does what does that look like when do you know how to clock off because so many entrepreneurs just work 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 and then burn out and that's that basically i mean how do you know that today has been a good day I'm now going to go home oh this is something I struggle with honestly I do I'm not sure I'm the perfect example of this <laughs> um, and I do blame my child because um you know I have to work around him bless him um, <laughs> well that's good if you've got someone to blame they're perfect <laughs> <laughs> oh no but you know what a privilege it is to be yes. able to get up take him to school come back and work pick him up because before he would be going to after school clubs but that's all stopped um and i sort of really value that time that we have together and he sees me working and sometimes i play you know we sort of try to split our time together um but then to make up for all that time that i'm with him or i take him to the park mm-hmm. i'm working at seven or eight or nine or ten mm-hmm. um i haven't 
perfected the balance. All I know <laughs> is that um, you try as hard as you can to do everything you can. Um, my husband is so much better at this. He will sort of, and I think football helps, right? Having the football on, mm-hmm. he knows that he's got a football match he wants to watch and that's his priority. So <laughs> basically, find yourself a football team and support them. <laughs> so, so simply put, I mean, so severe, what does what does success look like uh, to you? Success is so simple. It is a smile on a mum's face, a smile on a dad's face, a smile on a child's face and five minutes of peace at mealtimes. That's it. If I can just change one person's, one parent's, one family's life and make it just that bit easier, that is success for my product. Thank you so much uh, for joining me on this episode. For the parents listening, and indeed the parents um, soon to be, head over to munchieplay.com to pick up your car plate or indeed your train plate and come the summer, there'll be something else out there. Thanks so much again, Sophia. Take care. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms. Without you, this podcast is literally pointless. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to climb the rankings. And if you want to join me on the show or know somebody else who will fit the bill, please contact me via LinkedIn at Oliver Bruce Online. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to listen to other similar Pinpoint Media produced podcasts, head over to Apple Podcasts and search What's the Point? A weekly podcast around media spins, brand, PR campaigns and innovation hosted by industry leaders and myself. Honestly, it is worth a listen. Thanks again for listening. Take care.